a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. But before we get started with today's podcast, here's a short message from the Say the Damn Score marketing team. Hey, marketing team, get over here. I'm on my way. What's up? You need to tell our great listeners about the Critique Crew service. Oh, I'd be happy to. Say the Damn Score now offers a critique service. You send us 8 to 10 minutes of your work, and we have one of our nine expert broadcasters listen to your work and provide detailed written feedback of your strengths, weaknesses, and places you can improve. Many coaching and critique services are expensive, not ours. For just over 30 bucks, you can receive a professional critique of your work. Whether you're a young broadcaster coming up short in the job market or a veteran trying to reach the next level, for the price of a happy hour tab, you could be on your way to becoming a better broadcaster. Visit saythedamscore.com slash critique-crew or click on the Critique Crew link in the show notes. Now back to the show. Hey, production team, get back over here. Welcome back, everybody, to the Say the Damn Score podcast. I am Logan Anderson, as the same big-voiced guy that is here every single week just said. And I appreciate you for tuning in. This is a podcast about uh, sportscasting and play-by-play specifically. And we have people from all over the country on to tell their stories who work in or around the industry. And this week's guest is Wyatt Thompson. He is the play-by-play voice of the Kansas State Wildcats. And Wyatt, first of all, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Well, it is my pleasure. Anytime I can talk about Kansas State or broadcasting, uh, I'm a happy guy. So let's do it. I'm looking forward to it. Will, will it make you, would it change your mind if I told you that one of my saddest sports moments involved K-State beating my team? <laughs> Who's your team? Nebraska. When you, Eric Crouch oh, yeah. had his helmet pulled all the way around the back of his head. Oh, sure. I remember that. Uh, I was actually not the play-by-play guy here at that time. I was at Colorado State in Fort Collins, but I remember that very much. Yes, sir. I, I, I didn't realize you were a Husker fan. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Lately, it's <laughs> it's been tough, that's for sure. But I'll bet. You know, the first thing I like to start the conversation with and just uh, to break the ice is what was the moment in your life when you knew you wanted to get into sports casting? Uh, you know what? It's really a, a great question. And I think everybody has a story of sorts. I, I think probably the moment for me, and this is going to, my story is a little bit odd. I'll be honest and upfront about that right off. When I first started to college, I grew up on a farm and, and I wanted or I thought I wanted to be a, a guy who was going to study animal science and do something in, in the uh, in the hog industry, actually, uh, which was what my father was doing. I get to college. I've always been a, a diehard, diehard sports fan. I get to college. And the irony of this is, is my roommate is studying radio and television and, and broadcast journalism. And kind of in my off time, I just kind of followed him to the 
to the local radio station and kind of got in, interested in it in, in a half-hearted way that way. So after a semester of school, I give up my scholarship, uh, go borrow some money and go back to school as a, a guy who, who's now majoring in broadcast journalism. It was a crazy change, but uh, it worked out for me and I have no regrets. I've, I've, this is my 41st year in broadcasting and uh, I, I think I made the right decision. I hope I did anyway. You know, I read in an article about you as I was preparing for this podcast that you went to Colby Community College and uh-huh. you got your associate's degree and you were considering going to K-State to finish your bachelor's and you got a job offer to get real experience and get into the industry right away. Was it difficult to make that decision or was it easy? It, it was It was. <laughs> It was extremely difficult for lots and lots of reasons, Logan, to be honest about it. I, I, I was the oldest of three children, um, and my parents at, at that particular time uh, were, in all honesty, struggling a little bit. Um, when I was offered the job, I first and foremost sat down with them and discussed it and, and kind of got their thoughts about it. Uh, what had happened was, and this guy was a friend of mine, uh, between my sophomore and what would have been my junior year in college, uh, I was I was working part time at KLOE in Goodland for a dear dear friend by the name of Kay Million, and th- the sports director at that time was a friend by the name of Rich Epp, and he got the job at the University of Illinois, and they were kind of in a pickle. It was close to the end of the summer. I wasn't anywhere near being ready to be a professional broadcaster. <laughs> and yet they offered me the job full time. I tell young broadcasters all the time, please don't do it the way I did it. That was a long, long, long time ago. Uh, and I'm not sure if, if all things being equal, I do the same thing today. But at that particular time, it was the right thing for me. It was the right thing for my family and frankly, probably the right thing for my career. All these years later, I will tell you, the guy that I went to work for, Kay Melia, is probably one of the most talented broadcasters in the history of our state, and I learned a heck of a lot of broadcasting in the three years I was there. You know, coming from a very blue-collar, and it sounds, as you mentioned, a little bit of a struggling family, having that work ethic from growing up on the farm and having that blue-collar attitude, how does that help you as a broadcaster? Well, I think it, I think it really laid the foundation for me is the way I would say it, to be honest. Uh, you know, I, again, oldest of three, the other two siblings are, are girls. My mom worked at beach aircraft in Salina and my dad did several different things, uh, in the ag industry growing, you know, in, in his adult life as I was growing up. And, and so it was, I mean, I don't mean to, to portray the fact that we were dirt poor, but, but things were not easy at times either. And we were always taught uh, from, from the earliest days, as I remember, to, to work hard and do the right things and, and treat people the way you would want to be treated. Both of my parents, uh, just, I don't know if you really want to know all of this, but my parents met in the service in Biloxi, Mississippi in the early 50s. My dad was a uh, big Cardinal baseball fan and grew up on a farm just 90 miles north of St. Louis in Jacksonville, Illinois. And my mom was born and, and raised in western Pennsylvania and a big fan of the Pirates and so on and so forth. So I, I, baseball was kind of bred into me, I guess, as some of the part of 
the moral of this story, but but also that you know the the military, yes sir, no sir, work ethic kind of thing, work hard, don't don't just do it, do it right. All of that stuff was ingrained in me at a, at a very early age. We, you know, I remember going, you know, <laughs> cattle and hogs as a young boy, and and uh, we we were competitive. We went to win. We didn't always win, but uh, you know, if you're going to do it, go do it right, and that's that's what we tried to do. So did you, were you one of the people who grew up with a radio underneath your covers and listening to Jack Buck doing Cardinals games? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm old enough that, that it was Harry Carey before that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, I'll tell you a quick story to give you a little bit of an idea of what KMOX radio in St. Louis was like at that time. It was a fit. It's a 50,000 watt clear channel station and they just had hall of famer after hall of famer there and and uh one of my dad's sisters his oldest sister francis called me or called our home one night and um this was long before cell phones and any of that but uh the the story is is something like this uh she would talk to my parents and and then spend about five minutes talking to to us kids um and and she said the way i've got a, a young kid that's on the air at kmox i want you to listen to uh, and I said, okay, what's his name? And she said, well, he's 22 years old and he's doing the ABA team. His name is Bob Costas. So those are the kind of guys that I grew up listening to. And that also had a pretty profound effect on me. I, because of my love for the game of baseball and Harry and Jack Buck and the Cardinals were really good in the late sixties when I was starting to follow it. Uh, yeah, I right or wrong. That's kind of how I because I didn't know any better. <laughs> uh, that, that's kind of the, the path I took, not knowing at the time that those guys stay on those jobs for 45 and 50 years, and they're hard to come by. But that's another story, too, probably. Do you find any, you know, any influences, any uh, shadows of their of their style in your style? Well, pro- probably not as much with Harry, but more so with Jack. I, I think what I... Looking back on it now, I, I probably looked at it a lot different as a young broadcaster um, than I do now. But the thing that that I loved about Jack was, as you could tell, that he loved the game and loved the Cardinals, but yet was always really fair as a broadcaster and, and never, I'll, I'll use the, the term, run down the other group or the other team. And I, I you know, I always, I always loved that. And and he was just so much the the face and the voice of of st louis sports in those days and and you know (laughs) this was before the royals of course and uh, even though we were living in you know north central kansas uh it was still cardinal baseball in the summer i I remember setting uh, honest to god this is the truth i remember setting out in my truck or in my dad's pickup truck listening to the cardinal games on stormy nights and hearing about a third of it and uh but, but that's, that's what I did. And, and you mentioned the, I remember my uncle Carl, who was my dad's youngest brother, bought me a radio for my room. And, and what a big deal that was when I was listening to games in the summertime. And it was, I think I drove my parents crazy, if you want to know the truth. Uh, but, but hey, so be it. Everybody's got their story, like I said before, and that, that's kind of mine. So I want to backtrack a little bit to when you took that job in Goodland, when it was... Uh, you had the opportunity in front of you that you said y- there was no way you were ready for at that time. 
But, of course, you took it, and it led eventually to success. And to me, I guess I want you to talk about the importance of not being afraid to take an opportunity and jump in whether you're ready for it or not. Well, that's a good point, Logan, because you can't really – and you learn this through the process, I think. And I had mentioned to you earlier my my admiration – for Kay Melia, not only as a boss, but as a broadcaster. Uh, I tell the story to Kansas broadcasters all the time. I remember one of my first days at KLOE Radio and Television standing in the hallway outside of a production room, and he was just banging out one commercial after another flawlessly and not making a mistake. And his son was working for him at the time, and he was just a couple of years older than I was. And, and I, he said, what are you doing? And I said, just listening to this. And he, he said, well, you, you'll have to be doing that. And I said, I can't do it like that. <laughs> and, and he laughed and he said, well, nobody else can either, bud. That, that's the point. You, you've got to grow into this and he's going to be patient with you just come and work hard and do the best you can every day. And, and we'll go from there. And, and, and as simple as that sounds, that was, that kind of messed with what I was saying with you earlier. I, I didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing, nor was I ready in terms of the experience, but I was for lack of a better way of saying it dumb enough to, to say I can work hard and I can do this. Um, and, and, and so they let me grow through the mistakes and I don't know if it's necessarily like that in our business today. I wish it were, and I know it's a different time, but um, it, it, it was the perfect scenario for me. Let's say it that way. Do you remember any specific, uh, specific mistakes that you made that you can laugh at now that you may have been mortified at that point? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm sure there were. I don't know if necessarily I'll have a whole bunch of them come to mind right away. But, you know, you I have always been I've always told this story, too. I remember uh, when I first went to Fort Collins, as an example, this would have been uh, in August of 1989. And one of the early games that that I did with Steve Anderson, we were playing at the University of Utah. And I'll try to make this fairly quick, but you'll understand the point when I tell the story. I've always been somewhat anal, fanatical, whatever you want to say about, you know, getting the names right and all of that. So I'm going through the pronunciations with their media relations director and we get to their number two running back. And he said, oh, you don't have to worry about him. He's a redshirt freshman. He won't play very much. But but he kind of get and I so I phonetically write it out and. It, it was like the first or second series of the game. Their number one guy breaks his ankle. This kid ends up um, carrying the ball about 40 times. He went on to, a, I don't know, nine or 10 or 11 year NFL career. His name was Chris Fahmatumafala. And I can say that in my sleep, but I couldn't that day. <laughs> so those are the things that you remember. And I, and I, I remember probably more of other guys and some of the mistakes than mine. I've, in all honesty, I'm not that good at that stuff. I kind of try to let that go, but trust me, if you did do this for 40 plus years, like I've done it, you, you make your share of mistakes. Uh, that's just, that's the reality of it. And, and you know what? That's okay too. Cause it's live radio. 
And from my perspective, there really isn't anything any better than live radio. I, I, I love the business for that, no doubt. So according to what I could find, your next stop after that, was it in Hayes? Uh, actually, there were a couple of stops before Hayes, but the, the significant stop next was Hayes, yeah. I, well, give I was, us the Cliff Notes version of how you got to Hayes and what breaks you got to get to that point. Well, that, that's a really good question, and, and here's why. I think you'll appreciate this very much, being in broadcasting yourself and, and, and trying to interview people in the industry. It, it's kind of a, you know, a, a who-you-know kind of business, and that's happened to me more than once in my career. I, I had left Goodland, which, by the way, I, I firmly will tell you was a mistake. Uh, it wasn't a very big town. Uh, I I love the job. I love the work, but I didn't really care that much for the town. It, it's out in far northwest Kansas. And so I, I took another job and moved back close to my hometown before I got the job at Hayes. Uh, but I, I followed Bob Davis at Hayes. He had been there for 16 years, and he had just gotten the job, uh, the play-by-play job at the University of Kansas. Uh, and so <laughs> that was a real, 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 probably my first real big break other than the initial job in Goodland, because I spent five years there and that led to my first opportunity at division one Hayes is a terrific sports town. Uh, I, when I went in there, they were the defending NAI national champions. And my first year there, they repeated and were 35 and three and, and had just a fabulous team. So it was a, an experience beyond belief for me uh, and one that I, I've cherished my entire professional life, if you want to know the truth. It, I worked for a gentleman there uh, who had ties to K. Million Goodland. His name was Bob Schmidt. And those two guys and Bob Davis have probably been as influential as most in my, in my career. How important is finding you know, those couple of mentors that can help push you in the right direction, know when to pat you on the back and maybe when to chew you out. You clearly have, you know, you were fortunate to find some very talented people who were able to help you out early on. How important was that to your development? Well, I think it's important. It was important for me, and I think it's important for everybody. You know, as the years have gone on, I have tried really hard to what I'll describe as is give back, meaning helping those young guys that are, are like I was back in the early to mid seventies, trying to get my foot in the door. I don't know if you'll remember this name or not, but we had a, a broadcaster in Kansas at that time. His name was Fred White and Fred uh, was doing the Royals. He had done some Kansas state games where I'm at now. And he was a superb individual but one of the best ever at, at giving his time to help young broadcasters get that first job or get them from job number two to number three or, or go from the NAI level to division one or, or whatever, however you want to say that. So you, I, I could name several people that have been influential in my life and all of them gave me a little bit of room to breathe and gave me advice. And, and I think you said something there that, that is really important because in my first job, 
I was still young enough, even though my goal was to always do everything right, do it the right way. I didn't always. And I needed a K Milia type guy to, to get after me from time to time and say, look, you got it. You, you're better than this. Don't, don't do it like this. When you're supposed to be here at 5.30 in the morning, don't show up at 6.30. You're not doing us any good doing that and those kind of things. So I learned at a pretty young age to, to you know, be like that. And I, I'm, I'm proud that it was like that. I, I think everybody should, should have that kind of experience. So from Hayes, you moved to Colorado where you became – the color commentator, if I read correctly, for Colorado State and also worked at KOA in Denver. What was the process right. of getting there? Well, the, the job in Fort Collins, uh, the play-by-play job opened up in 1989. And a guy by the name of Mitch Holtus, who was a friend and grew up like I did in Kansas, uh, had also served uh, time at Kansas State and has been the longtime radio voice of the Chiefs called me and told me about it. He said, that's a perfect job for you. You should apply for it. So I applied, but there was also a guy in Kansas who I knew a guy by the name of Steve Anderson, who grew up in Fort Collins, unbeknownst to me. And so when he found out that I applied for the job, he called me and said, Hey, let's go as a team. Uh, I think I have some ends here with these people. Cause I grew up in Fort Collins and know the right people. So we kind of <laughs> right or wrong, we kind of double teamed them there. And for the first few years I was in Fort Collins, I served as, um, well, the first year I was there, first two, actually, I was, I was kind of the studio host and basketball color guy. Uh, and then I became the color guy for, for both football and men's basketball. And then Steve, um, chose another career path after about five years. And, um, and so I was elevated at that point to, to the play-by-play job so there's good fortune in it too there's hard work and a lot of people helping you but there's there's some fortune in it too and it, it was a great I, I was in Fort Collins for 11 and a half years um and then and then moved to uh to KOA and this is sometimes how the business can be a little bit weird when when I moved to KOA uh, I thought I'm in I'm in my middle 40s I can be here if I don't mess it up for the rest of my career I'm working in a top 25 market, great radio station, Bronco station, great heritage. And I was there for a year and a half when the K-State job opened. <laughs> so you'd never really know. Uh, but but uh, I, I mean, I had ties from Colorado back to Kansas, too. And I don't know if you want to hear about that. But but that that's kind of a, a little bit of how it played out, Get, getting to Colorado and then back to Kansas. We'll get to those ties in just a minute. But... The first thing I want to ask about is it's it's a little bit unusual for someone who's not a former athlete to get a color commentator job at the D1 level at this point. I don't I just don't think it happens anymore. This was I believe 1989 when that Correct. did happen. Was that unusual then? Yeah, it was. And I was very fortunate and and I that's why I tell young broadcasters all the time if I can do it, you can do it. Cause my path has been a little bit strange, you know, but they were, I, I think that I, I was the sports director at the local radio station there in Fort Collins. I was working really hard at it. I think, I think that was part of it. 
and I don't, I don't think there was really necessarily anybody that was a former athlete that was beating the door down at that particular time. That was also fortune for me. And, and, and that was probably the scariest thing because I, I've always been a play-by-play guy, or at least I think I have been. And attacking that, I had to go with that a little bit different. I, I talked to athletes and really had to work at it. And, and, and for the first time in my life, and I think it helped me in the long run as a play-by-play guy, pay more attention to the other guy and what he says, how he says it, how succinctly he hopefully says it, and those kind of things. I think it made me a better broadcaster, Logan. I, I, I firmly believe that for a long, long time, and I still do. So being a football color guy, you want to have, you know, a player or a former coach's deep, deep knowledge of the X's and O's. And I'm, I know most yeah. of us have maybe a fan's knowledge. We know the basics. We can maybe go to that second level, but to go to that third and fourth level takes a lot of either research or experience. Did you have to educate yourself deeper than what you had already had to do that job? Oh, yes, sir. Without a doubt. And and I was, again, I, I'm probably overusing the word fortunate here, but but I had a lot of help in Fort Collins and, and in Denver at the time with guys that had done it. I learned a little bit from uh, an old Bronco receiver, a guy by the name of Haven Moses, who who worked for the Coors Brewing Company and was the original color guy for, for Colorado State football the first two years that I was there and was the studio guy. He, he helped a lot um, in, in so many different ways. Uh, there, were, there were a couple of other guys uh, that, that I have such great respect for uh, that had, had been play-by-play guys but also served as color. And the, the guy I will talk about here is a guy by the name of Larry Zimmer who uh, was from Michigan originally and ended up in Denver and for, for many, many, many years was the color man for Bob Martin on the Bronco broadcast, but also in the same breath was doing CU football play by play. So there were some guys that were available to help me. And, and fortunately for me, were willing to help me. And, and you're right. You have to dive in a little bit, little bit different. And, and I was, I was probably, I think if I'm going to be honest and upfront with you, totally, that was maybe the scariest, scariest moment in my career, because I wanted people to know that I knew enough about football, even though I probably didn't yet. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I think I knew about enough to get myself in a little bit of trouble. And, and it forced me to learn more about the game. And, and I'm still to this day far from an expert, trust me. But, but hopefully it was good enough on the air. And that was, that was the goal always. So did you have to watch a lot of film to do that? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, the other thing is that I left out of the story too is that at that that first couple of years when I was there, the football coach at Colorado State at the time was a, was an old friend by the by the name of Earl Bruce. I don't know if you've heard that name or not, but he he had been at Ohio State and at Iowa State and and came to Colorado State, and and uh, most of the media didn't really care for Earl because he could be tough with them. For that, for whatever reason, he was great to me. And if, if he couldn't help me, he would have a couple of guys on his staff, you know, afford me 30 or 40 minutes to watch some tape and say, watch for this and, and those kind of things. I can't even describe to you how much that helped. 
especially if you're doing that weekly for a while. It, it, it makes a big difference. So going from Colorado State to Kansas State, uh, I read about one specific connection that really helped you to to be in position to make that move. I'll let you tell the story of uh, how that happened. Well, I <laughs> during my time at Colorado State, um, we we turned over a few athletic directors there. Uh, one of the first guys that I worked with was a guy by the name of Tom Jurich, who still today uh, is is at the University of Louisville. Uh, following him was a guy by the name of Tim Weiser, who had Kansas roots. He was from Emporia, uh, actually from Great Bend, but an Emporia State grad and baseball player. So we had that baseball connection there. Um, and, and he was at, at CSU probably about three and a half years of, of the days when I was there. And after Colorado State, he got the Kansas State job. And when the rights were changing here and they needed to play by play guy, the, the time that we spent together in Fort Collins, he, you know, he knew who I was. He knew I grew up 50 miles, 55 miles from K-State's campus, knew I was a lifelong Wildcat fan and all of those kind of things and thought I would, I would be a good fit. Um, so there you go into that good fortune and, and knowing someone. And in, and in large part, that's why I preach that so much to young broadcasters today of developing, you know, people who can help you. Don't be afraid to ask the good ones will help you. Um, and, 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 and I've had a, a ton of that, as you can tell in this conversation. And so t- Tim was, I just saw him. <laughs> he works for the Big 12 office now in Dallas, and I saw him uh, the other night in Nashville for the first time. And I've probably probably been a year since I've seen him, and we had a nice visit. And you know, I I'm proud of him. I think he's proud of what I've done here, and and uh, so it's worked out pretty well for both of us, actually. You know, I have a pretty good idea what this answer will be, but everyone does it just a little bit differently. What is the best way to build? the relationships with the people that you think can help you. And part of the, part of it is maybe building relationships with everybody around you. Cause you don't always know who those people will be. Well, you said that perfectly, Logan. And I think that's the thing that I, I have tried to do in, in my career. And that goes back to what I was saying before that treat everybody the same, you know, it, it, not everybody is the same, but treat them as such because you don't know who might help you. One of, one of the early guys that helped me get the job at Hayes, as an example, was a guy who grew up in the same county that I did, and he was the baseball coach at Fort Hayes State. You, you don't think about those kind of things at that time. You just don't. But, but think about you know, how many coaches and athletic directors have helped me, and none of those people really had ever put a headset on. And yet I've had so many people that wore headsets help me too. So I, that's, that's the message I, I think I would tell you and, and anybody else uh, trying to do this for a living is that if you treat everybody with the respect and, and, and all of those kind of things, because you don't know, you, you don't. And, and somewhere along the line, somebody's going to help you. I've been fortunate to get a lot of help. So I, 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 right or wrong, brother, I live by that. So when you got to K-State, <laughs> 
Bill Snyder was the coach, and he had gone through one of the more remarkable turnarounds in college football history. They were on their way to that point already. I, I read that in your first conversation with him, you didn't talk about football. You talked about other stuff and that how that was maybe important to how you guys started your relationship. Can you take us through that conversation? Well, for those who know anything about Bill Snyder, um, I, I would tell you that they, if, if they heard what you just said, they would understand because that's where it really all starts with coach and, and that's with family. Whether that's his personal family, whether it's his football family, uh, that's that's how he lives. And I, I, I so appreciate all these years later, I, I've been, this is my 16th year at K-State, and, and he has done things here that, that people said couldn't be done, but he's done it in such a remarkable way with just amazing toughness, uh, stick-to-itiveness, I guess I would say, uh, a great offensive mind, and those 16 goals that, that he and our football program live by. And, and it, it does sound cliche-ish, but we didn't in that first meeting talk about football so much. I'm not saying we didn't have maybe a, a brief w one or two minutes about it, but it was more of getting to know each other. Um, family's important and why. And I, I think he was, in all sincerity, probably feeling me out. I know he talked to Sonny Lubick about me. I, I know that I didn't know it then, but I know it now. <laughs> and and Sonny, of course, would have. I can promise you, tell him that I may not be perfect, but I, I'm a guy who will give you his best. I'm a guy that you can trust, and and hopefully, you know, based on that, if I do what I'm supposed to do, things will work out. And I think I think that's kind of how it's played out. He's a good man here, boy. Uh, uh, <laughs> K State was. Well, you know the story. K-State was 0-26-1, I believe, in the 27 games prior to Bill Snyder walking onto the K-State campus. So what he's done here is remarkable, insane. So being a fan of K-State, separately of being a broadcaster, and being able to document the end part of that turnaround where they were already good by the time you got there, but they, they kind of went over the top and finally won the Big 12 when you were there. Yeah. What was it like for you? Uh, did it add an extra level of appreciation knowing that you had been a fan through the really dark times? Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I even told a, a guy this uh, just a, a day or two ago. When I left Kansas to go to Fort Collins, Colorado in 1989, and I'm not making this up, the press box at Kansas State football in those days was a double-wide trailer. I wish you could see our West Stadium Center now. It is a seven. -story I saw it last house. year. Yeah, I mean it. I mean it, it's. He has done so much here um, that that he has made Manhattan better. He's made Kansas State University better. He's made K State athletics better. In some ways, I think he's made the state better. And I, I don't think I'm overstating that really in any way. Most people that work here will tell you that that he has helped virtually everyone. And, you know, winning football is great, <laughs> you know, and, and I guess that to go back to your question there a little bit, when, when we beat Oklahoma in 2003 and he won the big 12 for the first time, 
uh, it was just my second year here, but what I found myself walking out of Arrowhead stadium in Kansas city that night, not only appreciating the, the great football team that we had and how well we played, but it was, it was for all of those people and with coach Snyder that, that started this thing in 89 when they won one game that first year and, and things were hard and there, there was no infrastructure and no interest and no money. You could go into the Manhattan mall at that time, Logan, and not find a Kansas state football shirt. Now you can go into any mall in the state and find one. I, I hope I'm relaying that message clearly enough that what he has done here, uh, it, it, it's almost beyond trying to describe. Uh, because of how bad K-State was. They literally were talking about either dropping the program prior to his hire or moving down to Division Two. It was that bad. So with Bill Snyder, he's known for uh, for people who are not close to the program like myself. He's kind of known for keeping his injury report really close to the vest and not sharing very much information and maybe being a little bit prickly with non K-State media. Was there ever an instance where you had to overcome that, or was he always pretty forthcoming with you? No, I, no, I had to earn it. Uh, and, and I think everybody is that way with Coach Snyder. I, I've said many times before, one of the things that, there are many, many, many things that I admire about the guy, but one of the things that really has stuck out and that I've learned, I guess I would say over the years, is that he doesn't expect anything from anybody that works for him that he wouldn't be willing to do himself. But having said that, what he wants is when you come into that facility to give your very best every day and try to get a little bit better at it every day. He lives by that. He works by that. And it's, it's, it's paid off in 25 plus years of, of him being in man, almost 30 years of him being in Manhattan. He was retired for three years and came back in 2009 uh, to, to give you an idea of what we call Bill Snyder 2.0. We've now been to seven straight bowls uh, since he came back. <laughs> and I don't think anybody thought he would coach that long. He'll be 78 next month. It's a remarkable story. I never get tired of talking about it because I think he's arguably one of the greatest, maybe five or 10 football coaches to ever walk the sideline. And I, I mean that sincerely. He is remarkable in what he's done here. So I want to get back now to being, to working with a color analyst because you were a color analyst and that gave you an insight that maybe, I mean, I think a lot of people at some point have done uh, color commentary for a high school football game or something on their way up, but not, at the level that you did, how did that help you to develop the chemistry with your current uh, analyst, Dan Weber? Well, I think there are a lot of things, as I mentioned before, I think when you're doing color, it, it, at least from my perspective, as a play-by-play guy, I, I think the play-by-play guy comes first. It, it, and and I, this is what I respect so much about Stan. I, I've worked with a lot of guys over the years the difference between he and I is his football knowledge is off the charts. Mine would be more towards ordinary. So he is brilliant at giving me the ample time to set the formation down in distance, call the play before he ever opens his mouth. I, I 
I probably ruffle some feathers when I say this, but I get tired of hearing color guys scream over the top of play-by-play guys. That is annoying to the listener, and they should stop it now, today, till through the end of time. It's wrong. Don't do it. With that said, when he comes in, what he says is brilliant because of his football knowledge more times than not. Uh, I don't think that I was at that level, but I, I think I learned through the process, through all of the people that we've talked about, that when you're a color guy, you have to you have to describe why the play worked or why it didn't, and sometimes very very quickly. That was hard for me. That it really was, and, and I think it's hard for a lot of guys. Um, and and do it, it. There's a reason I think that they call it color analyst because you are adding color, trying to add blues and reds and greens and yellows and oranges to already a, a, a painting that is hopefully being painted by the the play-by-play guy. Does that? If that sounds corny, I apologize. But that's the deal. It's it's a collaboration between the two. I hope I'm answering your question, and and maybe I'm not. But but what I learned more than anything else was you got to be pretty good, but be pretty good succinctly and quickly because there's just not a whole heck of a lot of time. Now, there are moments where you have more time, and, and you know what? That's a great thing. Then you can really expand on what's going on. Have you ever had to work with an analyst that you didn't have that type of chemistry with? And then what do you do to make the best out of that situation if you've had to do it? Certainly not asking you to drop names, but uh, it's something that a lot of people have to go through. Well, you you ask good questions, Logan, and I I appreciate that um, because the answer is yes. I've I've worked with a few, but fortunately for me, it's been minimal. Um, In my time in Colorado, there were a couple of guys that I worked with on uh, this was my KOA days. Um, I worked with a couple of guys that had not done a lot of color. Um, and, and, but still good broadcasters, just not good at that part of it yet. And it was my job to kind of, you know, train them as, as, uh, you know, the, the, uh, I was running their sports department at that time. And, and, and so (laughs) it, that's, that's been the hardest part of, of the job for me over the years is being pretty ultra critical and trying to make them better because you want them to be better. Uh, so, but it's been minimal. I, I've worked with so many good people. I, at my time at KOA as an example, and, and I, Dave Logan, who's the Broncos play-by-play guy now was a color analyst in, in those days. Um, and, and I thought he was as good a football color analyst as I'd ever heard just, just because he knew so much football. Uh, sim- similar to what, you know, he, he played in the league and all of that. Stan didn't play in the league, but Stan's played so much football and, and, and studied it all his life. Uh, those those kind of guys are a little little more rare than you might think. So you appreciate them when you're, when you're around them for sure. So part of your job outside of calling the games is that in the summer you go on the Catbackers tour, which I'm going to imagine is half booster fundraiser, half banquet half pep rally yeah. that's that's three one halves the math doesn't add up but yeah. <laughs> but uh, describe your role kind of being part of the catbackers program well let me tell you a real quick story um 
when when Tim Weiser hired me at Kansas State, he he was outlining the job, and he said you'll do play by play for football and men's basketball. You'll do the radio and television coaches shows, uh, do a lot of public speaking, and you know MC a lot of our events and do the catbacker tour. And I said, okay, what's that? And he said, oh, it's this little deal that that happens in the spring, and um, you'll you'll just MC the events and and. Uh, Okay, didn't think much about it. Well, that that little catbacker tour ends up being about a 25 to 30 stop deal over about six weeks from mid-May to the end of June. (laughs) And so it's fairly, uh, there's a commitment uh, to to doing it and doing it right. And my job is to, you know, a lot of the events are golf tournament during the day, fundraising golf tournament during the day, and then I'll emcee a banquet at night where I, introduce and interview our you know athletic administration people or coaches and and athletes that we take out and it's really that's one of the things that that makes kansas state unique too that uh there have been some some people around the midwest and in our conference try to emulate what we do here with that and they can't really sustain it but we have regular stops um every spring and, and have so for the 15 plus years i've been here it's uh You'd have to see it, Logan, to appreciate it. The, 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 I think uh, I, I don't know. I don't have the numbers um, from this past Catbacker tour, but the, the previous summer, in in about six week, weeks, we raised about two hundred eighty thousand dollars for our uh, scholarship for student athletes. So it's it's somewhat significant. <laughs> Being away for for six weeks, um, I don't know if you're gone the entire time or if you get a little respite to go back and forth. How difficult, how much of a strain is that on your personal life? Well, I, I'm, I've, again, I use the word fortunate. I, I have uh, a, a great wife who understands my job and, and understands me, <laughs> which is hugely important. Uh, and she's very good about, you know, letting me breathe there and, and doing that. And yet, I think what I tell everybody is it kind of evens out over time. What I mean by that is, is after that catbacker tour, uh, they don't see me a whole heck of a lot in July. Uh, we take our time then. She's worked at K-State for many, many years. So it works out, you know, almost perfectly or very close to perfectly. So that's a, the other thing that I tell young guys is you need to have somebody young women too, somebody that uh, is going to be very understanding of your time commitment, because if you're going to do it somewhat similar to the way my job is structured, it, it is a bunch of nights, a bunch of weekends, and uh, it can be pretty crazy. So uh, have somebody that really cares about you and, and understands it. That's important. So when I was at my first job in about 2009, uh, I went to what was essentially, I'm going to guess, something very similar. It was for the University of Iowa. They called it the iClub. I had to go there to report on it for my station. And I thought it was interesting because you got to see a side of the coaches and the broadcasters. Like I was able to sit down at a round table and have a beer with Kirk Ferentz. That, that, that doesn't happen in a lot of other situations. But now with social media and uh, cameras and microphones everywhere, I'm curious if you'd be able to get that side, that human side of the coaches and yourself as a broadcaster at 
at one of those events. Has that changed in your time? It's changed some, yeah. And I, I think it depends on the coach. Honestly, Logan, another really good question, by the way. I, I think with Coach Snyder, uh, I don't think I'm stretching this at all. He, he doesn't really worry that much about it. If he feels like saying something, he will. I think he's got the, the street cred, if you will, to be able to do that. We have other coaches that may be a little bit more careful about what they say and how they say it, uh, probably athletes too. And that's okay. That That's part of it. You know, we, we do. And that's one, that's the great thing about my job too, is that it, it's constantly changing and, and the social media part of it uh, has made it at times better at times, probably more aggravating and maybe not as good. But I, I think like anything else, you, you take the good with the good and the bad with the bad. And, and, um, that's, that's the way you have to do it. The, the good of, of the social media now is it gives everybody a kind of a, a, a mouthpiece, I guess I will say, or, or a, a spot in the world to, to have an opinion that everybody can see and read. Right. And, and, and I, I think that can be okay. I think it can be damaging sometimes too, if you let it, but uh, yeah, our, our coaches handle it really pretty well in, in all honesty, most of the time. And, you know, we've been, we've been going to all of those places for so long. They may say something there that unless there's a, a reporter there <laughs> other than me, uh, it may never leave that room. And that, that's a good thing too. How long did it take you to sign up for your first social media account as a longtime veteran who grew up without it? Well, you'll laugh at this. I, I, um, we had an intern here in our uh, athletic media relations staff a couple of two or three years ago that kind of got me in. I, I, I am on Twitter. I am at Cat Voice Wyatt. Uh, I, I am on Twitter to basically read uh, people that cover the Big 12 and college basketball and college football. I am not on there to tweet. Not saying that I haven't, but I rarely, if ever, do. Um, and I, I guess it's just maybe that's it, it probably somewhat telling of my age and, and trying to be, you know, got to be somewhat careful with that. I think um, there are, you know, I've got I work with with a couple of guys here that that tweet two or three times a day. I'm not sure I necessarily need to do that. <laughs> So, um, but, but again, I'll stress this, uh, I, I can see the good of it too. And, and I, we have coaches that tweet as an example and have hundreds and sometimes thousands of followers. That's great. And I, and I think, I think that, uh, it's just, it, it just depends on who you are, what, how you look at it. But I'm old enough that I, I think, well, I don't think, I don't know if I have, anything that important to say to tweet today how's that if I, if there's something out there that i want to say i'll say it but it better is probably going to have some some substance to it i see i just looked up to see if bill snyder had a twitter and it he does and it's verified does is he the one who actually tweets on that yes he is and, and a lot of people don't believe it when i say that and i don't think he's tweeting now at all but he he has tweeted some in the off seasons uh, or off season, I guess more accurate. But uh, yeah, when that first started coming out, we got thousands of questions about, well, who's really tweeting for coach? And his son Sean, who is our 
a special teams coordinator and our director of football operations for many, many years said, oh, dad's doing it. I don't think most people believe him, but uh, I do. And, and after he started tweeting, though, you could kind of tell it was him. You, there's a difference in, in the way he writes and says things as opposed to everybody else. That That's blatantly obvious to me. Maybe not quite so much to your audience, but but definitely for me. So at your time at Kansas State, there's been uh, some controversial exits of coaches. I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I think the first time that Bill Snyder left, he retired because he was somewhat run out because uh, he had a couple subpar years. And then you've also had the Frank Martin and the Bob Huggins, and there's probably yeah. others that I'm not thinking of. How do you handle those situations with people you like who maybe fairly or unfairly are run out of the school and have to look at different options? Once again, a really good question. And I think the way you stated that is so accurate because it is hard. Um, when you work with these guys every day, like I do, Logan, you, you get close to them. I will tell you as, as one example to try to answer your question this way. I don't know as though I've had more fun in one single college basketball season as I did the year Bob Huggins was here. He has an unbelievable dry sense of humor. He's forgotten more basketball than most of us will know. He did a great job here in a very short period of time and put K-State basketball back on the map in, in basically a year. Um, he is still a friend today. Uh, but you know what? I left KOA Radio in Denver to come to Manhattan, Kansas, and my boss at KOA said, why would you do that? He didn't understand what this place means to me. Uh, and, and Bob Huggins left here for one reason and one reason only. He was going home to West Virginia. I would be pretty hypocritical of holding it against him for doing something that I had done previous, right? But he is, a, he is a good man, and I believe, in my 40-plus years in the business, one of the most misunderstood coaches I've ever worked with. Frank Martin, as an example, uh, in, in the five years that he was the head coach here, and I, I've told him this to his face, he laughs about it, but he went from an idiot to a rock star in five years. And that's the truth. And I'm talking about with our fan base. When he walked out of here, he was loved. Uh, still missed today. That was probably the hardest departure in the 15 and a half years that I've been here uh, because he, he was so popular. And, and then there was some consternation over it. And, and he and the athletic director, in all sincerity, didn't get along great. <laughs> so it is hard uh, because you get so close to him. And yet you still have to have and maintain that professional posture. I hope you understand what I mean by that. But like with Coach Snyder, Coach Snyder is my friend. He will always be my friend. There are very few people in the world that I think of more than him. But there still has to be a little bit of space for him to be what he is and me to be what I am when it comes to our jobs. And I think if you do it any, any way other than that, eh, you, you could maybe struggle a little bit from time to time. If you say something maybe 
overly critical than what you meant to do or something that, for whatever reason, a coach doesn't like and you think it was accurate and it causes a rift. How do you handle that situation? Do you just kind of back down, say you're the coach, I'll do this differently next time, or do you stand your ground a bit? That's a good question, too. And, and I, I, I'm probably going to not give you the answer that you, you would hope for because I don't necessarily think that I've ever been critical enough where I've been called out on anything. The only thing that, that comes to mind, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I first got to K-State, this would have been 2002, things were different. We had a, a, a rights holder different for the first time in 40 years. Coach Snyder was used to doing it one way and we were doing things a little bit different. And during his radio Collins show, we had a little two and a half, three minute segment where we had, you know, a little run around the big 12 kind of thing. And after the very first show, he called me and said, I didn't like that. Please make that go away. <laughs> and and I swear to you, in 15 plus years of knowing him, that is the only time he has ever had a, a, an issue with anything with me and and or our network. And that one really wasn't with me. I, I wasn't producing the piece. But uh, at, at that particular time, I go back to the to the words street cred. He had enough street cred that we made it go away. And I think we made the right decision. It's his show. Um, so it, right, right or wrong, that's how it played out. What do you do to this day after, I believe you said 41 years in the business to continue to improve and get better? Well, that's another one, uh, that I, I appreciate you asking about because I, I think it's probably time to hang them up when you're not trying to get better. Um, I, I still listen to my games maybe not every single one like I once did. And that's probably on me. I, I think you can only get better uh, if you listen to yourself and critique yourself fairly as human beings, we do fall into patterns, uh, which, which sometimes can be good. There's a balance there, but sometimes the pattern isn't so good. And you only are going to pick up on that by listening back to your work. Uh, so I think that I'm fairly critical of myself and, and have always been to a, to a degree. That's probably more than anything what I do now to try to get better. Um, I've also, a few years ago, I tried really, really hard to <laughs> make myself be better at the rules of the game, whether it's football or basketball, what, whatever. Uh, just just because it's it's the right thing to do, and it is a challenge because rules change. Trying to keep up with them with with my schedule, you have to work at it. But I, I I'll reiterate this. I think if you you won't get much better, especially if you've done it as long as I have, if you're consciously not trying to get better. Does that make sense? I really believe that of all the games that I've done, and I've been so fortunate, been to so many great venues and seen so many great games and all of that. You'd, you'd never take it for granted. And yet I can honestly say, and I mean this sincerely, I still think maybe my best game is still in me somewhere. 
I've done a lot of pretty good ones, but I still think I can do a better one. Where is your favorite road venue to call a game? <laughs> uh, football or basketball? Both. Or both. Well, we, when we started this conversation, you uh, talked a little bit about your, your Husker roots. Uh, I've always, always enjoyed and, and miss it today, miss it now. I love going to Lincoln uh, for football and, and, and because they have such great tradition and sellouts and they, they care about it so much. It's a wonderful venue. Um, Texas A&M comes to mind for, for college football. Um, those may be LSU's pretty dang good. <laughs> Auburn's pretty dang good. I, I would say those are probably, you know, in my top four or five. Basketball, I've been pretty blessed there, but the, you know what, this this pains me a little being the K State guy, but um, it's pretty special going down in Fieldhouse in Lawrence where KU plays. They, it it uh, was built in the early '50s, and it's it's such a an incredible place. Um, Gallagher Iba in Stillwater. If you're a broadcaster, you have to try to get there once for sure, and I've been very fortunate to be there many, many times. Poly Pavilion in Los Angeles. Uh, there are better arenas, but that was one of the cool, cool times when I, when I got to do a game there. And um, those, those are probably the, the ones that stick out for the most part, right off, right off the get go. Can you walk us through your preparation process to get ready for a football game? When does it start and what is your kind of general, you know, habit, habitual process that you go through? Well, you said that right, in, in that it is a process. Um, it, you do certain things each day of the week, and for me, it's it's starting on Sunday. Uh, if we play Saturday, uh, I usually go in Sunday morning, meet with the athletic media relations people, uh, and they are giving me updated statistical things from our team, the opposition, um, Big 12, national statistics uh, where, where we rank in the nation in different categories. Uh, I do a couple of, you know, recordings on, on Sunday for the, for the week. Uh, we, we've got, you know, just kind of, we've got a two hour radio show that's called wildcat insider that I do on Monday. In addition to all of the chart work, we've got coach Snyder's press conference Tuesday is radio show Thursday. And, and you learn as you go that it's, it's, it's just, exactly that it is a process and you do certain amount of things each day I've, I've always tried really hard to to be over prepared if that that's probably the wrong way to say it because you're never over prepared but uh I, I work a heck of a lot on those charts and, and try to have you know individual notes on all of the players and that and, and truthfully you maybe get to less than 10 percent of it but it makes you it makes you better, it makes you feel like you have a better sense of, of the, of the team you're covering, the team you're playing, those kind of things. So yeah, it, it, uh, it it's a long week, but I, I enjoy the process too. You know, I've always found this interesting just because I feel like a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on it, but I know when I make my charts and I get to the game, I almost hardly ever look at them. And oftentimes I have a flip chart. I, I haven't even turned it over when I want to see it because I haven't looked at it for several drives. But I learned the stuff through making them. How much do you actually look at your charts in a game? 
Well, probably in all honesty, a, a little bit more than you do, but not a heck of a lot. I, I think what young broad and, and I'm not picking on anyone, but I think what young broadcasters make the mistake of doing Logan is, is that they work all week and work on those notes that I've described and that you work on and, and, and feel like they have to get that stuff in. And, and you really don't, you have to have, the game has to be the thing first and foremost. And, and I've always, well, let me back up. That's, that's probably the wrong way to say it. I was going to say, I've always been like that, but that's not true. I, I think I learned that from those guys back at KLOE and Goodland early on that, you don't have to get everything that you've prepped for into the broadcast because it isn't natural. <laughs> Let the game flow and be natural because they, and you know, this all good broadcasters know this. There are different levels of things happening in a game constantly. Tell those stories, paint that picture of people when they're doing radio nowadays, I, I want to hear if it's a blue or a gray sky. I want to hear, you know, the, the visitors and what their uniforms look like. Um, I want to hear they're moving from left to right or from north to south or whatever. The, the, that I've, I've always been taught from the earliest days, you're pretend that you're talking to somebody that is in a locked room by themselves and it's totally pitch dark and you're trying to describe what you're seeing. And if, if if you do that and don't get too caught up in the, the numbers and all of, all of the other things, because I think you can stat people to death too. Um, not that they're, they don't have a place, but uh, again, balance. There are stories within the story and you got to tell those stories. On a bye week, when you have a week off to just sit back, relax, and listen to somebody else call a game, who are your favorite broadcasters, both at a national level and maybe a kind of some of the under the radar local people in your area that you enjoy hearing? Well, I, I appreciate you asking that too because I, I I've become I I, <laughs> I am a big believer and love Sirius XM because I can listen to my brethren in the league. I have over the last you know fifteen plus years at Kansas State become very good friends with. You know, whether it be Craig Way at Texas or Dave Hunziker at Oklahoma State, or I don't want to just single those guys out, John Morris at Baylor, all of those guys are not only friends, but, you know, good at what they do. And, and I've, I've had the good fortune over the years of, of meeting other broadcasters, whether they're local, regional, or national, and I love listening to them. One of my favorite guys. Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard Wes Durham, who's the radio voice of the, of the Atlanta Falcons or not, but uh, I, I met him in Salisbury a few years ago and, and, and just, we just hit it off and I love listening to him. Uh, I could, I could name several other guys, but uh, I think that's how you get better too, dude. I, I really do. I, you know, everybody has their way. Everybody has their style. But it's a good thing to, I think everyone is made up like me. Think about what we've talked about over the last hour, all of the influences in my career. Okay. That, that's what makes you, you know, maybe I am just a little pinch of Jack Buck, or maybe I'm a little pinch of Camelia or whatever. The truth is, is I'm a pinch of a little of all of those. And I think you probably are too with your people. If you admit that to yourself and be honest about it. And that's what it, that's, 
hey, they learn from somebody too now. That's just the way it goes, <laughs> right? Absolutely. That is 100% correct. And I'm going to ask this next question with the preface that if you don't like it, I will edit it out in post. But I believe if I know the story correctly, and I'm not 100% sure, you got the Kansas State job right after Greg Sharp, correct? Yes. It, did he he left there because of the rights change? Yeah, yeah. What, I, I don't mind talking about. Okay, that. what is Greg, your relationship Greg, with Greg Sharp, uh, knowing that you took the job uh, because of a rights change that he had had and probably didn't want to get rid of at the time? Yeah. Well, in the beginning, it was rough. There's no doubt about it, and it was it was that way with Greg. It was that way with Mitch. Those guys were great case staters they still are great case staters i've always respected that i've always respected their work both of those guys are as good as anybody out there uh, i could i could have mentioned both of those guys when when listening to play-by-play people stan weber as an example said i thought one of the greatest compliments i've ever heard of any play-by-play announcer when he said this about greg sharp he said listening to greg sharp is like sitting in the rocking chair Think about that. There, there's just total calm. He's just doing what he does, and he's doing it at a really, really high level. I, I respect that so much. I, I really, truly do. So, yeah, it was a hard time because the, the, the rights thing was, was a, a weird thing. Um, it was awkward when I came in, and I wasn't the most popular guy the first couple of years I was here. But K-Staters are fair. Uh, I, I think once they allowed themselves to get to know me a little bit, it was okay. But all these years later, too, when you when you, I still get asked about Greg Sharp, and Mitch Holtus, and Steve Fiziak, and Deb Nelson, and Fred White. That that's part of the legacy that is Kansas State athletics, and that's the way it should be. All right, we will wrap this up with how would somebody who wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that if they wanted to reach out? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. I, I, uh, I would say you can uh, email me. My email is catvoice, C-A-T-V-O-I-C-E, at kstatesports.com. No K-dash, just kstatesports.com. My office number is 785-532-7982. And you can get a hold of me those two ways for sure, and, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. All right, once again, you are listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast with Wyatt Thompson. He is the voice of the Kansas State Wildcats. And, Wyatt, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure, partner. Good being on with you, man. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Please reach out to the guests that take the time to come on the show. They are a great resource for you, and it's nice to show the guests kind enough to join the show that they are appreciated. Also, please subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, the TuneIn app, or the SayTheDamnScore.com email update list. I'm Logan Anderson. Next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score a little bit more.